Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. You're listening to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held by two guys about Christianity, the church, and other matters of faith. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Go to Hell podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tell us to go to hell on Twitter at the Go to Hell pod. I'm your co-host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Um, you sound great. <laughs> something that I uh, just kind of recognized from our opening sequence is that you could say strong opinions weekly held. And what we actually mean by that is W-E-A-K-L. Yeah, it's a pun. Yeah, I on the website, it's when you read it, it you on the website, it ah, it's a double entendre. That's right. Sorry, it just it just hit me right now. No, I'm I'm actually doing really great. Um, tournament season is over, so I, my weekends are back to being semi-free. I mean, Oktoberfest was this last weekend. You know, it's just it's nice to kind of relax. Um, but water polo is still going on, but we're having a great time. So. Um, you know, league started. We've only got like a couple more weeks, um, and then we're good to go. So, so you know, playoffs go and all that kind of stuff. Just anticipating. I'm in an area of anticipation of my life and really enjoying uh, what's coming next. If you know, for most teachers, we don't actually usually anticipate October. We actually dread it because from uh, for most teachers, not the ones that work in my district, but you usually have about a seven to eight week span of no additional three-day weekends. Ah. Uh, so October is a grind of just five-day work weeks the whole time. Oh, this is such a grind. I know. It's, it's such a grind. It's tough for us. <laughs> and so you are just waiting for Veterans Day to come around. And so you have to just grind it out. But I am anticipating October. Actually, they say that most of the time when most teachers know that they do not want to be teachers in the month of October. Because it's just... And the year's just gotten started. Well, it, it's just you're in that middle pocket where, where it is almost like a grind where you are, you are slamming your head against the wall for the next several weeks. Because now the initial excitement of school is over. This is when kids start to slack off. This is when they like to... Um, really test the boundaries of your classroom management capability. Teachers start drinking in the teacher's lounge. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <it> does <laughs> we wish it does, but no. Um, and so it's just, and for those that are skeptical of teachers and, and the hard work, I'd just say that this right now is what most would consider the hardest time of year. There's not a lot of stuff to look forward to. It just kind of becomes, school has a lot of exciting things that happen a lot of times. But during October, it's usually a very dull month. So, but I'm anticipating it because I'm in love and water polo, and we're having a great time. So, well, speaking of October, it's Oktoberfest, and speaking of Oktoberfest, it's time for our. Beer it's of time the for week. the beer of the week. Three beers this week. None of them have to do with Oktoberfest. No. 
Um, because it's too hot outside. It's too hot, and a lot of you guys that I hang out with actually don't like Oktoberfest-type beers, but I do. But yes, it's still too hot. Yeah, I definitely did not drink three liters of... Oh, that's right, you did. But... German lager on Saturday. Yeah, I was thinking more of a Mars, a nice Marzen. Uh, that's what they—that's what they served me. Okay, you know, like that's what it was. So, um, we have three beers this evening, brought to you by uh, one of the greatest breweries ever. Not even just to say on the West Coast. No, You're exactly. One of the great staples of beer uh, across the world. Um, they have a triple IPA that we call the pilgrimage every single year that we go to. It's served for only two weeks. Um, we're, t- of course, talking about Russian River Brewing Company. Uh, and if you are lucky, you're able to find bottles in your area. They have started expanding more recently. Yes, as of about three years ago, maybe yeah. four, it was impossible to find outside of their little uh North, yeah, Northern California. Maybe in Sacramento you could find it, but in Southern California, there were websites dedicated to uh, where you could go find it, and around here you couldn't find it at all yeah, until they started expanding. If you ever went to their spot, and I remember this this pilgrimage that we're talking about where they released this triple IPA for two weeks out of the year. People come from all over the world to come and try this beer. Um, it's phenomenal it's a lot of fun and usually what you're looking at is about an eight hour wait about a six to eight hour wait if you go on a weekend um to this place and so but a couple years ago they built a windsor location or their their spot is now they built a location in windsor california before it was literally just this tiny tiny little place tiny little place in downtown santa rosa it was awesome um but that was the whole operation, and then they built this giant place in Windsor, California, and now they're able to get out way more beers, and so it is able to trickle down into the Central Valley here, where we don't have to necessarily drive up there all the time to get their beer, although we still go once a year. Um, so what we're drinking tonight are three beers from them. We have Mind Circus, which is, in my opinion, the best hazy IPA on the market. Um, it's delicious phenomenal i remember we were there the weekend that it dropped was also their week their second week of Pliny the younger which is their triple ipa and everybody in the brewery that we were talking to was just like yeah Pliny the younger is so good but they were like but we dropped this other hazy ipa and it's so good too and so we tried it after we drank our three that we were allowed to, the Pliny the Youngers, because if you go, you're only allowed three of the beers. Yep. Um, because it's just, it's rationed. And, uh, and we tried it, and we were like, this is delicious. And we've been able to find it, so this is Mind Circus. Um, then uh, we also have their Double IPA, which is the, their most famous beer, in my opinion. Right, would you say? But, uh, aside from the Triple IPA, their most... Famous. No, their fa- their most famous beer is Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Elder. I would say most most beer aficionados are are most know about Elder. Only some know about Younger. Right, and a lot of people call it the original double IPA. Right. So, um, phenomenal beer. It tastes so good. And then uh, we have their single right. Uh, yeah, there's single. Uh, their single IPA, Blind Pig. Which some people prefer to pl- uh, Pliny. Right, to round off the evening. So those are our beers. Sorry, we took a little long to disclose 
all of the stuff about our beer. That's all right. Beer education along with... I love these beers. Christian deconstructionism, that's it's pretty good. It's a special night. You know, it's a special night for drinking beer when you're drinking Russian River. They're just so great. So, uh, do we have cleanup on aisle five? I think we had a little bit of cleanup on aisle five. We had a guest last week. We had a guest last week. Unannounced un- un- guest? I mean, he told us he was showing up, but it was not an unplanned guest. Uh, and it was a bit of a messy episode, although I will say it was not a messy episode because of Nolan or unplanned. It was just, a, it was a messy topic. We knew it was going to be a messy topic. Um, and so, uh, we ended up spending a lot of time on someone we know as an illustration, but the long and short of it is, I think, tell me if I'm wrong. The word of God is much bigger than just the Bible, as I think a lot of Christians and even pastors that I've sat in their church, at least they at least communicate it that way. They might say, oh, no, no, that's not what I mean. Well, when they stand up there and they wave the Bible around and say, this is the word of God, that's what they're implying. That We think it's more than that. It's the Holy Spirit. But uh, if you just rely on the Holy Spirit, that can... Lead might be something else that you're talking to, and it might get you into trouble. So don't limit yourself by just reading your Bible uh, and not taking some time to have a little conversation with God and think about what to do in your circumstances, because the Bible is, uh, it is essential. Um, although I think sometimes we miss the essentialness of it. A lot of it is it a lot of us think of it as a how to guide for our lives. That's not what it is, I don't think. I think it's a history book, just as every American should learn it, the history of the country so you understand how we got here, why we got here, why decisions were made that seem questionable or whatever, uh, or just to know other people have been through that that's kind of what the Bible is. I read it as there's certainly instruction in there. Jesus makes it clear on things we should do, shouldn't do. Uh, the apostles afterwards in their letters back and forth clarify a lot of that stuff. Uh, but a lot of it, particularly in the Old Testament, is just to let people know, is to give people an idea that man has been struggling with its relationship with God and God with its relationship, his relationship with man for a long time. And it's nothing new and pick up some wisdom on it. Yeah, no, I think it's important to note that there are just lessons that are being discussed, um, and, and we are needing to learn from the mistakes of the past. Um, and there are things that Jesus has pointed us to, and those are things that we should really pay attention to. Um, you know, understanding, that's why such so many people put such a huge emphasis on those, those Gospels and even the teachings of Paul. Because, again, we're trying to get back to what is it that God is really <clears throat> intending for us the whole time. Um, because there was such a huge stray from that throughout the rest of the story. Um, and so uh, just keeping that in mind, whenever um, you are reading or seeing anything for that. I mean, we've talked about Mere Christianity uh, by C.S. Lewis. We've talked about plenty of other people that we see um, and that we consider to to be people that um, that are almost like Bible adjacent sometimes. You know? Right. The, their ideas and their thoughts are true. You know, the, the Bible and the story of the faith does not end in 
a hundred years past Jesus' death when the book of Revelation is written. Like it doesn't uh it doesn't end there. No. No, the the story still continues. The story still continues and the church still struggles to And there are people that continue to teach beyond just what is in the scriptures that help us develop and grow as members of the body of Christ. So um yeah, and I think as we stated in the first or second, one of the early episodes, there's a core, the core belief, the thing that you and I are completely settled on is who Jesus was and what he did. Yeah. And after that you and i are much more open to debate on what that means in our lives and and a lot of that is because we live different lives cultures are different and i think christianity is meant to meet people in whatever the culture that and i'm not just talking like if you're progressive i'm talking like if you're european european your people in europe look at the world differently than the united states does you can fool yourself because oh they're all democracies and they're quote unquote white people they have a different worldview and a lot and a lot of that's because most of us in the united states a good chunk of us at least probably people listening to this are protestant there's a whole different protestant catholic worldview and then if you know people down in south america and africa as i do i don't really know anybody from asia there's a whole other flavor of christianity and I would argue that a lot of that's because I'm not, I don't mean to make it sound like they're simpletons, but they, they don't live in a modern world we, we live in, meaning that they are engaged in nature more than we are. They don't have a lot of the modern distractions that we have. They're not, they don't have a Western, a purely Western viewpoint that says reason is everything and all that. They, they things are much more spiritual and, and, natural i would i would in in a way so um so and then that's to say because we have our worldview because we're in america that we're wrong either just be open to different interpretations and stop telling everybody unless it's you know things on the margins that are really toxic like uh hurricane ian is about to bear down on florida and it's because ron DeSantis is an evil person who sent kids back to school sooner which will come out or whatever other nonsense that you know that kind of nonsense i we we've made it clear <laughs> at least once we don't tolerate that but all the other stuff we're we're arguing around the edges i know uh, one thing to break the fourth wall for a minute colton and i hang out on a regular basis we're probably together two three nights a week depending on the week and when we do talk about the podcast, just like, how's it going? We're hoping people will listen. Um, one thing we are mindful of, uh, what are we, like 13 episodes in? It probably sounds like we're being really harsh on Christians. We're not. Uh, it probably sounds that way once we get going and we're riffing and all that kind of stuff. But we're really not trying to be. I mean, we are trying to be critical and, or in just in terms of, you know, bringing out different opinions that I think too many people in in the faith particularly like in leadership of the faith who are who are being gatekeepers want to say oh no no you can't think that way um that's not really what we're trying to do in in some cases we've we've been critical critical but uh, we'll keep coming back to this on the podcast what we're not trying to do is make you feel bad because you've got a different point of view if you want to write in to us and tell us to go to hell because what you we you think is uh heretical fine that whatever but um, and we do have, 
We do have a topic planned. We need to do our own little kind of personal research. So we hit it on uh, what the definition of love is. And I, my preview to that is that's going to be much more outward focus because I think the world, meaning the secular world, is really warping what the definition of love is. And it's really putting Christians in particular in a bad... We've certainly done some things to make us look silly when it comes to a lot of these things we're arguing over who's loved like gay people who are gay or trans and all that. But the way the the definition of love is getting warped, it will probably be doing much more time pushing back and to those who aren't of the faith and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. That you, what you're, what you're defining is not love at all. It's something else. It's, it's another, there's another word for that and it's not love. Yeah, I think um, I think that when we're talking about these topics and we're sitting there and, and I I was and and I told Tim like you know I just feel like we need to take a rest a little bit from just laying into the Christians because I feel like it, it, it just becomes so easy um, for us to sit there and and, and do that um, and maybe maybe the, those are the types of viewers that we get are the people that are like, yeah, trash on them. <laughs> um, but if, if I'm being honest, where this comes from is, is from a place of disappointment in myself where I have sinned and I have fallen short. Um, we talked about that a little bit on this podcast where, where we've had these situations where I did not do what I needed to do. Um, I was not loving. I was not caring for people. I believe that things were a certain way, and that's just how it was going to be, and that was my mindset, and nobody was going to shake me from it. And, and even now, like I still feel like I'm pretty unshakable. Um, but, but then I, I, I find myself learning lessons all the time. You know? And so I don't want to be a pendulum that swings, but I want to be somebody that grows constantly. So where I find people that I'm frustrated with, and maybe this sometimes that comes across on this podcast, is I get frustrated with those that are not growing, um, and people that are not caring to grow. Um, it's just people that are like, this is my faith, um, this is what I was taught, this is what I believe, and, um, and those people aren't trying to expand. Um, because for whatever reasons they believe that, you know, um, that <laughs> uh, the secular world is trying to invade in on their right. uh, belief system and that kind of thing. And it's like, well, um, I, I don't know. As, as somebody who, who values education, um, I think that you could, should always be trying to educate yourself on your faith and not just feed the beast. Don't just feed your beliefs the entire time um there are a lot of great teachings out there um and that's why it's also important that you don't just sit there and and just think about what your one particular pastor says on this topic and all of a sudden that becomes law because that's not good yeah uh, so or even if it's just your own thoughts and you sit there and you think that that's law because that's what you were taught in sunday school or that's what you read from the bible that's not good. Yeah. Um, there's nothing in the world that proves that that makes sense, that that's what's good. 
Uh, anytime that we ever look at anything, be it scientific, be, and yes, I get it that, that the spiritual realm doesn't necessarily play into the laws of science, but just when it comes to human humanity and logic and understanding arguments and belief systems and that kind of things, you need to have a backing. You have to have it come from somewhere. And, and if you're following somebody that, and just because you have a whole mass of people that have it backed, it doesn't make it true. Right. That's another concept where it's like, you know, a lot of times science want to, wants to, or a lot of people use this example, and I think it's a pretty good one from the standpoint of the whole world believed Galileo was a dumbass. You know, the world is flat, right? And the whole world believes it, but does that necessarily make it true? Right. And so the Christian, the Christian faith, people within the faith, and I don't want this to be fuel for the fire for atheists because it's not what I'm getting at here, is that people of the Christian faith, a lot of times, are sitting there and saying that the world is flat. I used to be one of those people that said that the world was flat. And whatever aspect of the faith that we were saying. Right, right. And, and, and again, it's an analogy or a metaphor being used to kind of describe this whole situation. We all at some point are sitting there and saying that the world is flat and we are not able to reach out and understand that whole concept that the world is so much bigger, so much larger, and so much more complex um, than what it actually is. Um, and what's funny is that Jesus and his book and his gospels and then the Bible and what God is presenting is like, no guys, it is so much bigger than you could ever. Yeah. And I, I think I come, I think that's one of the perspectives that we're coming from, and the the one I'm, I'm also coming from is I think, uh, American Christianity has become, uh, and part of this is because of mass communication. I would say it's made it a lot easier, but we have, we have a lot of gatekeepers in the faith. I would say right now, and it's religious leaders, whether they be you know, prominent pastors or, or leaders of Christian movements or denominations within the church. And I think too often, instead of being just representatives of a view of Christianity, these Christian leaders act more as gatekeepers and they want to keep the faith nice, nice and tidy and don't go outside of this nice and tidy thing that I'm telling you. And I'm going to quote you all these things that, that um, I'm going to quote you scripture that backs, backs me up on that. Um, and that's fine um, to have that worldview. But again, the, the older I've gotten and the more I've educated myself in Christianity outside of reading the Bible, but just reading like history of the church if you're an American Christian, particularly an evangelical Protestant, well, yeah, if you're a Protestant, American Protestant, particularly an evangelical, your faith of Christianity is a is a young one. If and if you think it's an old one, you're fooling yourself. There's a lot of things that the church did not believe for a long time, and it's not just because it was Catholic. It's just these weren't beliefs that the church had for a while, for a long time. 
And it's not to say that Protestantism is bad. What I'm arguing is the opposite, is a lot of I, what I would, uh, American Protestants are trying to be the new gatekeepers, the new Catholic Church, by saying, well, if you don't agree with this v- version of, uh, of uh, revelation or what true grace, or, 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 or uh, no, not grace, what true belief in Jesus is, it's not just a prayer that we say and a belief in Jesus, then you're not then you're not a real christian look you can have your different flavor of what baptism is and what revelation is frankly i think a revelation is intentionally a mystery it's not, i think it's meant to be ambiguous because of the lessons that are in there which is why so, anyway we're still on the podcast dedicated to it just It's a bit of a dichotomy. Be certain about what you believe, but not so certain about what you believe. Have have your opinion, strong opinions, weakly held as well. All right. Um, I will say on a side note, I saw tonight on the television a commercial for some new, looks like some Christian movie or documentary called Super Spreader, where it looks like this some young guys doing a. Uh, rev- some kind of revival movement. Uh, yeah, but there's a pandemic going on. And he's hosting a party. <laughs> uh, it looked very charismatic, and I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a charismatic anymore. But just for those of you, I hope to God some charismatics are listening to this because I don't want it. We're hoping for a diverse group of listeners. It looks interesting. I, I'm I'm looking forward to, to watching it. I'll probably disagree with some stuff, but you know, I, there's something to be said about getting there and getting out there and and people who are drawn to that kind of who, who are looking for that kind of a faith that the charism that charismatic stuff it bring brings a wave of emotion over them and it's brought they they're brought to Jesus and they get baptized. There's nothing wrong with that. There's it's just not my flavor. But I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, that's wrong. Well, what do we have on tap? So tonight we have a very interesting topic. Unfortunately, it is still going to be uh, aimed at Christians, but a lot of it's going to be aimed specifically at me, a little less so Colton, but... Listen, I'll take it. We'll have a conversation. Uh, and that is... I, I am beyond blame. I can't be blamed for this, so that's why I'm... Although, no, actually, this will be funny because we'll talk about it tonight. But I'll let you well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, you have changed churches. Yeah, but uh, I moved cities. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go there tonight. Just wait. For those of you, if, this, if someone's listening in Los Angeles, he's basically saying he moved from Granada Hills to Northridge. <laughs> I know. That's a, I, that was going to be part of it. Uh it just got reveal the topic. We'll talk about it. Go, go, go. Okay, so the topic tonight—it's—it's it's actually two topics, but I think we're going to spend a lot of our time. No, let, let's let's agree that we're going to talk about both because I think there's something said to be to be said about both. Disillusion, disillusionment with the church, and that the, the disillusionment is takes forms of I left the church, capital C. And do delusionment with my church, small c. All right. So something about the faith upset me, or or the church, or something upset me, and I'm just done with the whole thing. 
So I'm going, I'm not going to go to church anymore. And I'm, maybe I'm not going to call myself a Christian. Uh, the other topic is I don't like my church anymore and I'm going to go somewhere else and find a church that, that fits me. Um, so which one do you want to start with? Let's start with, uh, let's start with the, uh, if something happened at church and, and did something to me in, and so therefore I'm not going to be a, a Christian anymore. Start there. Okay. So this is going to be aimed at you. Here's my problem with that. I don't understand. Uh, there seems to be. Oh, let me ask you a question. And I don't know, you might not be able to answer this. And you'll understand when I ask this. Do you get the sense that Christianity sells itself as a movement that perfects people? Or is that something that the secular world is inferring or using an excuse to dump on Christians when they do something wrong and say, well, you're, you're just as bad as everybody else. You, you make mistakes like everybody else does, to which we say, well, I, yeah, I never said that this was like, gonna, like a special potion that turns me into a perfect person. So I think, I think with your question, now that I understand it a little bit better, because I thought you were just going to leave me at, is it something that perfect people? I understand what you're getting at now. Well, because because I'm getting to because the answer to that gets me to why people I think leave. Well, but here's here's what I honestly believe is to I, I I think that both of your points are valid. I think that people believe if people that are not a part of the faith often assume perfection from those that are um, in the church. There are those in the church that expect perfection for those farther along within the faith. Right, like so, um, I'm supposed to sit there and I go to church every single Sunday, and the pastor that is up on the up at the podium is supposed to be perfect, right? He's the one teaching, right? Supposed to have his shit together before he's able to come and talk to us, right? Uh, well, that kid, that 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 pastor's got a, a son, and he's my his his son's my son's age, and I like kid gets drunk every. So what is it? He's not much of a father, right? And that's and that's what we judge pastors on right and james talks about that james says blessed are those of you that you know that teach because you're just out there on display for for all to see um and and people are going to turn away and if they're going to blame you for those reasons then that's not really fair right like we look at we look at david right and that's that's one of the best ones to go to for this whole conversation about those that lead are in this leadership role. We look at David uh, in the Bible. Uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with it, David was this um, this king of Israel who was considered a man after God's own heart. The guy fucked up a lot um, during his time as king of Israel. Um, so badly so, um, you know, he didn't get to see the temple being built. It was, his, it was a part of his plan, part of what they wanted, but a part of his punishment was that, um, according to the scriptures, one of his punishments was also that his son, uh, that he was going to have, uh, with this woman that he had, um, 
uh, adulterous relationship with, um, uh, that child was going to die. Um, I'm sorry, taking a drink. Um, that's the whole situation. We also see that David was a terrible parent. His sons, and this was even foretold upon, his sons, like, took their concubines and had sexual relations with them up on a roof. Um, these are, like, ridiculous things that happened um, in front of all of Israel. This is this crazy stuff that went on. Um, and so he wasn't a good father, right? He wasn't a good father. He was this great warrior leader for Israel, but he wasn't exactly this perfect specimen, but yet we all know him, and still to this day, Israel regards him as one of the greatest people in Israel's history, is this King David. Um, that was a man after God's own heart, even with all of the mistakes that he made. Um, and so we see these mistakes that are made by these people in these high positions. And so I understand what we're talking about when we say that we expect perfection from them. Now, to your point, and I know that we're only getting started, but I still think I'll unpack it because I don't know where you're going after this. <laughs> is as people of the faith uh yes there is expected to be a a getting better process uh, and it should be something that is a desire within you but that being said sin is also a desire within you um the world is always going to throw desires at you constantly and i'm not going to tell you that it is super easy nor that it is possible to resist them all if that were so then it would be perfect it was completely and, and i'm not saying that there's other powers involved i'm the, and i mean like depending on where you're at with all of that and that kind of stuff what i'm saying is i think that we lose a lot we we do things because we want to do them we lose to ourselves Right. There's not some demon pressing us to, uh, to go into temptation and and be gluttonous, be lustful, be whatever. We ourselves lose that battle. That is something that I think is important. But being a part of the faith means that I don't want to lose those battles. I want to try to be better. And so trying to be better and trying to strive for that is what the faith is meant to do. Not try to be, I mean, like, ultimately the end goal is be perfect, so be like Jesus. Like, that's what Christian means, Christ-like, right? But we are doing our best every single day to try and resist temptation. And maybe we lose it, we lose some battles, we win others. As long as we continue to fight every single day with that internal struggle within ourselves that says, this is what I want, but instead, I'd rather it be what somebody else's wants, and that's what's important to me. And so that's what I would say about faith, to answer your question. Okay. Here's why I pose that question. And I'm just going to warn everybody, as we go along tonight, I'm going to sound, maybe Colton will too, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to make some judgments about folks and it doesn't mean I think they're awful people or but he's coming after me no 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 it's uh but it, this is going to be like a, a tough talk 
for for some folks. And I think if maybe some people who are listening to this who aren't who haven't heard this kind of tough talk, and so that stipulated. The reason why I asked about the perception of what uh, of what people perceive the church to be is I think at the end of the day, it's an excuse. And here's why I think it's an excuse. If you're really concerned about people being hypocritical or not living up to their standards, what are you leaving the church for? And you can say, oh, well, I, you know, the secular world doesn't doesn't uh, have those kind of ideals that hold people up to. Bullshit. What world are you living in? The, some of the most judgmental people on the planet right now are secular atheists. They have their own set of rules. And when you run afoul of them, you get run out of polite society. So what are you, what are you replacing with this faith that you've decided to leave because, I don't know, you've been hurt. I'm sure you've been hurt. I've been hurt. My wife and I could tell, can spend two hours telling stories about how we've been hurt by people who weren't just fellow Christians at church, but friends of ours at church. It happens. It's it's life. It's messy. Church is messy. So if you're someone who's left because I got hurt or I don't like all the rules, I'm sorry. This is supposed to be more—the whole point of this is for you to be more about—more— to be more than just yourself, to go outside of yourself, to grow, to think of others. And I think sometimes when we show up to a faith or a church or you're someone who doesn't believe and you show up and, and there's something they, that they believe that you don't like and you walk away, I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to channel Jordan Peterson. Who the hell do you think you are? To insist that a faith movement that's existed for 2,000 years think exactly like you do. Because, I'm again, I'm here to tell you, that doesn't exist on the planet. Something with the political movement you replace with religion with is going to piss you off. Some Science is going to piss you off. Reason is going to piss you off because guess what? No, the Enlightenment has, hasn't made us all reasonable people. Most of us go around making unreasonable decisions every day in our life. So you're just gonna, are you going to leave reason? Are you going to leave the false god of, of reason? Are you going to leave science because it disappointed you? Are you going to leave the Democratic Party? Some of these things are bigger than you, and you can disagree with them. That's the whole point of this podcast that Colton and I are doing. We do not agree with everything in Christianity. In fact, we could probably go through a list of things we disagree with. But I'm not about to leave the faith because the fundamental thing I believe in is never going uh, to drive me away from this, this thing. And I will have disagreements with people that, that I share the faith with. Faith with. Some of them will be uh, pretty meaningful and some of them won't. But I'm not leaving. And so... I hope some of you listening to this over the next couple of weeks will send in your reasons and we will deal with them and I will de- we'll deal with them lovingly and I'm not going to mock you or anything, but I would love to hear some of these reasons because a lot of them, again, I find to be bullshit. Well, I mean, here, I'll give you two right now. So I got two um, stories. 
both pretty personal. Um, you can you can come at me and call them bullshit, but I think that also what's important is noting that both sets of both sets of people in these stories um, have not said, nor do they feel, that they have left the faith. Um, okay, that's an important. That is an important uh, distinction. distinction. Although there's some trouble there, we can get into that in a minute. About well, do you want to do you want to unpack still a little bit more before I give you two stories about people that believe that they haven't left the faith, but they have left uh, church. Maybe the one has returned to church, the other has not been back inside of a church building and and not had relationships with. Other believers, that's the important part, right? Because depending on how you define church and all that kind of stuff, they have not had that for 12 years. All right, let me, let's, this is a, I'm glad you brought this up. Because I will speak for myself. I can talk in, I can talk in absolutes when I don't need to mean to talk about in absolutes. So this is a good, so. What are you, a Sith? <laughs> so watch Star Wars. Like, that's what I, I was like. Yeah. So when I mean I mean leave the church, I also mean leave the faith. And let me just cut to the chase. Um, I think people leave the faith because they just never really had faith. Ooh. Good James. <laughs> and again, I'm talking in generalizations. In terms of the church, look, there was a period a couple years ago where I didn't want to go to church for a while because of stuff that happens. That happens. If you've, like, left the church, church, but you still feel you're a Christian, I would say you you cannot be in a church, meaning you're not going to church, part of a faith group, and be a Christian— but you are violating one of the things that makes us a Christian, not because it's like it's sinful necessarily, but it is key to staying on the path. Just as we are all called to get baptized, but you don't have to be baptized in order to be a believer. It is a thing we are called to do in order to show that we are a believer. I'd say it's sinful in a way, but I think I'll unpack that in a minute. I, that's fair enough. That's a fair that's a fair thing. And again, everyone just know we're just we're riffing here. We're riffing here. So give us a little bit of uh But I mean here, I'll explain it right now. No, I mean just in terms of how muddy the conversation's gotten. We're we're riffing here. This we didn't have any we didn't have an outline on this. We didn't have an outline, but I, I, I like where it's been going tonight. Um but uh, what I'm saying is when I say that it's sinful is and the only reason why I say this is because there was once uh, some guy. I say some guy. This guy was. Uh, this guy is one of my favorite people in the world. Um, um, we once talked about suicide, and I asked him. I was like, you know, like, and uh, when I was in high school, and we had had this conversation about suicide. He had a completely different perspective on it. Right? It's the unforgivable. Yeah. And then years later, uh, I was in, I was helping him run a youth ministry, and uh, when he took over for somebody that left, and um, 
And he was just filling in. But kids would ask him big questions, and he got asked about suicide, and he was like, and he was honest about his his take on it, and and then he opened up about something that I I think I hadn't really thought about before. It was something I had been kicking around for a little bit, but I just don't think I had ever put it in that perspective about how God is so much about other people that. If you look at sin, what it really comes down to is when you miss the mark of God, it is because you are being selfish and you are just thinking about yourself. Yeah, I agree with that. And so that's what it's like, depending on what your heart, where your heart is at when it comes to, you know, the fact that you need to step away from church and that kind of stuff. And listen, people need to take care of themselves. Mental health is real. Right? Like, we're not going to say that that's fake. We're not going to say that that people don't need to take care of their bodies. They don't, like, you don't need to give everything to where you are completely drained and exhausted and your life has no purpose, no meaning. So, you want to unload on that? On a... On where you were at, because are we are we done with people leaving the faith, leaving the church? I think leaving the faith, yeah. Um, I, I do I, look. I, if you've left the faith, I, I was probably pretty harsh a few minutes ago. You probably have some good reasons, um, but uh, at least, at least I, I, reasons I, that are justifiable to you. And if uh, we sit there and we say that they're not good enough, you'd be like, "Who are you to tell me?" And you're right. Listen. I don't know your story. I, I don't know your story. And I could, and, and it's cheap for me to say you probably didn't have any real meaningful faith, but um, or, or maybe it's not. I mean, let's be honest. For some of you, that's the, that's just the case. You don't have the, you don't believe anymore. It, 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 it's probably the case you really, you never really had true faith. And if that sounds judgmental, I'm not saying it like I think you're a terrible person. It is what it is. I mean, this. <laughs> I'm not a Calvinist, but it's not crazy also to think that just like some of us are just like, I've got it. And some of us are sitting there going, I wish I had that. And is there something wrong with me? I, I don't want to make you feel worse. It's just like, but I do believe if, <laughs> well, I guess if, if you've left the faith and the church, what you'd probably tell me is, I didn't connect with the people there, so why the hell am I there on Sundays or Wednesdays doing anything? And I'm not getting it out anything in terms of my personal faith. I would, my response would be, totally get it, but how much were you putting in? No, but my response would be completely different. My thing is, and I'm sorry, this may offend some people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Tim's spot for a second. <laughs> the tables have turned. Why is it about you? No, I, I, I do Both believe those that. those questions that you just talked about were, it's about you, right? Like, I didn't connect. I didn't feel like I belonged. Or, you know, whatever. And what else, what are you leaving it for to replace that void? Again, I, what, what thing out there, the, the world right now, the culture we live in, and all the things that are supposed to be the it thing, they are toxic. So what new faith group 
sense of belonging are you replacing it with that's that's meaningful? Are you just becoming a man on a or woman on their own little island? That's not healthy. Yeah, but but here's also the thing is is again, it's about you. But this is something that we've talked about several times on this podcast, and I cannot state enough, is that you need, in order for you to be a part of the faith, and this is calling all believers and all people that... Are f- an right effective now. member of the faith. No, no, if you want to be a part of this faith, and I'm going to draw the line right here. All right. Draw, line in sync. You have to be bought in on the mission and vision of Jesus Christ. Oh, you yeah. need to know the full extent of his mission and his vision that he is casting for you. And guess what? That means that it's not fucking about you. It never is. It never will get to be. No. It's not about what you need in this moment. It's not about that. No, it's always about what does the next person in line next to you need in this moment. It's not about you. It's about them. That is the mentality that you have to have at all times is that it's not about me. It's about them. And and here's the thing, and it's hard for us as humans. That is not easy. You don't get to just sit there and be like, because this is the concept that is, that is supposed to work. I sit there and I think about you, and I want to take care, about, take care of you. And really how it's supposed to be is you should also be thinking of me and wanting to take care of me, Right? And so it should be down the line. It just keeps going and going. And people should constantly be taking care of each other. That nobody should have any wants. Nobody should have any needs. But then people are selfish. Yeah. But yet when people are selfish and your needs aren't being taken care of, it is still up to you to sit there and say, I still need to take care of you. And that's a huge, huge concept. It, it breaks our entire system, right? And especially in the United States where everything is about us. Oh, yeah. Right? A constant thing. I work in a high school where it is about what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do with your life? Blah, blah, blah. Never, ever is it ever do we ever hear kids say, I want to be a missionary and I want to take care of people. I have yet to ever get that. I ask it every year. I get 120 students a year. So right now I'm at 500 students in my lifetime. And nobody is saying that they just want to take care of people. They want to go out and work in Africa, work in the Peace Corps. No, nothing. It's always, I want this for myself. I want this, I want this, I want this. Um, and that's just our culture. Like, if I was in high school, it would have been that way. I mean, actually, I wanted to be a youth pastor when I was in high school, but, you know, I just felt like that was the coolest job on planet Earth, you know. Just sit around and watch YouTube videos every day, and then on Wednesday nights you gotta give it like a speech. Oh, <laughs> cake. <laughs> well, your use of the high school kids is it—it's an effective um, example. Although I would say teenagers, I do want part of me wants teenagers to be selfish in a way. I mean, my bigger problem with teenagers these days is they're so we've turned them into these risk-averse flowers that and they're doing the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing in their 20s and early 30s, which is going out and taking tremendous risk and because that's how the world's changed. Yeah, I'm not a risk taker, so. I know. And not everybody has to be, but we don't have enough. you got to have a certain percentage of the population, particularly young men, yes, young men, who are willing to go out, risk life and limb or fortune or whatever, 
and take tremendous risks because that's the only only way society yeah, continues like, to innovate. And, and I mean, like, I'm okay with women doing it too. Although uh, women are, are are seeming to be more of those risk takers right now. Um, what I'm more saying is, like, uh, when we say life and limb, we're not necessarily meaning that you need to go out and join the military and just risk your life and your limb uh, for uh, your country or whatever. Like, no, no. I was like, that's not what we mean. Don't go out there and just be like, all right. We listen to this podcast, and this guy said we need to go out and join the military because that's risking life. And no, life no, it's uh, you know, a hundred years ago it would have been heading west and trying to find gold or or uh, strike get oil. And these things sound like mundane. They're not though. That's how society has progressed. Wait, can we take a can we take a brief second? Sure. If you were given. One million dollars. I ask this student of my I ask this question of my students every year. So I'm gonna ask this of you now. Especially when you say that people need to take risk life and limb. Would you move to Mars? And be a part of the first settlement that ever existed on Mars? No. No? Oh, that's what all my students say. Because I don't I don't care about Mars. But I, but I, but I, that's me. I'm 50. I find it sad that you can't, that none of your kids said that. That, that's the age where they should be like, hell yeah, I'm going to go. Oh, dude, I say, I, I say I'd go. I'm 27. You're still in the age I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm like, heck yeah, I would go. That'd be awesome. A final frontier, man. This is a total sidebar, but I'm not kidding. Society does not, society does not progress without young people. And I will say men in particular, because if all the women are, then we're not making more babies. There's sorry, new new biology people. That's how it works. Um, and if men and that's men got, we can fine. We'll just be completely equal. But men and women taking tremendous risks. The age to do that is in your twenties and thirties. If you sit around and not take risks in your twenty years and your thirties. You might not find the life you were expecting as fulfilling as you wanted in your 40s and 50s. You might, but... Wow, this is hurt. This is going to hit me hard in my 30s and 40s. I'm right around the corner from those. Yeah. I'm going to probably cry after this. Oh, please. It's not my first time crying myself to sleep this night or this week. It won't be my last. <laughs> you know, it's it's so hard to communicate these days without offending someone in the room. Hey, man. I'm a snowflake millennial. <laughs> you watch yourself. Actually, I'm on the cusp for those of you that are 1995 babies. We don't really feel like we belong anywhere. We're like, are we Gen Z? No, those guys eat Tide Pods. Are we millennials? Nope. Yeah, it's probably fair. Everybody hates them. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that's not us either. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I think we've hit that one. There is a guy, I don't remember his name, and I have his website up in front of me. Colton hasn't actually heard of his, he's supposed to watch a podcast that he was on where he's, he's left, he says he's not a Christian anymore, but when I hear the guy talk, I think he is. He's just... He's left the community of believers. I, I'd love to get him on the podcast to flesh out why he he thinks he left and if he's really left and all that kind of stuff. I, I look, I I do understand getting delusion disillusioned with parts of the faith. I think today is really hard. It it, it is today's particularly hard because um 
society is at the, let's just be honest society right now is changing social uh, moral mores norms at a breakneck speed yeah and i think unfortunately a part of Christianity has taken over even secularism, which is being compassionate and accepting and loving. Yeah. And even those of us who aren't believers, and they've been told by this new new generation of secular, uh, uh, these the 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 new atheists that this is all somehow some manifestation of 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 human evolution, uh, cultural evolution and the enlightenment. I'm sorry. That, that's the biggest bunch of bullshit I've ever heard in my world, in my life. The most enlightened, the most enlightenment society on the planet was Nazi Germany. It was not Christian. Don't, don't even waste your time sending me an email or a Twitter to sell me, tell me that the Nazis were religious. They used religious tropes to drape cr- Nazism, but it was a strictly atheistic, uh, centered uh movement so and that's not even counting the commies so the enlightenment on it on its own and uh and 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 atheism does not lead us to uh this tremendous group of kumbaya people who don't kill each other anymore over religious wars that's that's nonsense I look forward to that email. <laughs> All right, so that's topic one of two. Are we done with that one? Look, we yeah, so killed that going, one. Now we're going to people that haven't that have. Well, now we're going to turn it inward, right? Including people at this table. Yeah, we we are going to be a part of this conversation. All right, so this is people who leave a church for another church. Are you doing the quote? Is that where you're going to start with? I'll read the quote in a minute. Let's give our background again, which we did on the first episode, but maybe you skipped it because you found it boring or you just you don't remember. So it's good to bring it up. Uh, I've been in the faith my entire life. Oh, sorry. Thank you. I thought this, uh, I thought this was... When I was a kid, my parents did church shop a lot, and I never asked them why. Uh, I think part of it was they, they, they grew up in a Pentecostal church background um they got along my parents got along with their parents fine it wasn't like some sense of rebellion but at some point they left the uh pentecostal faith and ended up presbyterian which is it's not the polar opposite but they're not they're not really on the same part of the christian spectrum so but and we Changed churches quite a bit. Well, part of us because we moved too, but. Uh, Do you have a gay priest? Oh no, this is way before this. This was when my parents were in the Pentecost in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, it the, the the beginning of the end did start um, when the Presbyterian it was PCUSA voted to accept all Native. American religions as part of the Christian faith, I think is what it was. And so they were adopting that. And then they were like, okay, that the, this, the, the end is near. Um, <laughs> the sheriff is near. <laughs> no, I said near, not the other word. Um, so, 
Uh, I moved. I met my wife. She was at a church. Moved up here when we got married, uh, and immediately got involved in the church, uh, Baptist church. Enjoyed it very much. Um. Made good friends. Life. Made really good friends there. Still have friends. You're a friend, actually. You know, we're both friends because of that church. We're not friends from another church. Um, but it was during that time at that church, and it wasn't because of stuff going on at the church. I just, I, uh, uh, to last week's topic, I felt the Holy Spirit starting to tell me the thing you're being told is your faith is not your faith. There's been a lot of shit that's been added to it that has nothing to do with what was intended. You've replaced one religion with another religion. And uh, that led me to start questioning within the context of the church as I was a leader of that church. And I wasn't the only one. I mean, we so we had a pastor leave. And in the course of, and the pastor had been there a long time, over 20 years. Right. And when that happens, you know, unfortunately, pastors should be, in, there should be a person in charge of a church. But you should also also have lay people who are bought into that. And by the time he left, I don't think uh, leadership had gotten lazy. But not because they're lazy people. These are all, they were all very engaged people well they didn't get lazy they got set in their ways they want a church to be a certain way so when we had to look for a new pastor um some people who were helping us find the pastor came in and and did some assessment and led us to come to the conclusion the correct one that we were very inward focused we were our church was geared towards taking care of each other which is fine one thing you could should get out of the church as colton just talked about a few minutes ago is Caring for one another. It's in the New Testament. Care for one another. Part of the thing the church should do is care for each other who are part of the of the church. But I, but that's not what just what the church should be. And if the church just becomes caring for one another and not being attuned to those not a part of the church or those who've left the church and are not the specific, not small C church, but big C church. They're no longer a Christian. Maybe they grew up in the church and they left the church during their college years. And when they got married and now they're like, I got kids and I got to get back to this faith. Being in tune with them, being in tune with people who never grew up in the church. Because one thing Christians like to assume is particularly depending on what part of the country you live in and we're in bible belt part of california but if you're in the south the the southwest it's easy to assume that everyone's grown up in the church and knows everything about the bible and when you start talking about this that and the other people just are going to know what you're talking about because even though they might not be a christian or you're not sure how good of a christian they are they know what you're talking about that is not the case again in our bible belt part of the country um we did a study in our area and over half well over half the people in our area not only don't go to church never did grow never grew up in church the country got very secular really quick and the church wasn't paying attention so all that to say the church leadership along with a vote and um an affirmative vote from the from the 
membership of the church said basically literally we feel more like a country club and we want to be outward focused and i thought that's what we meant and i'm sad to say we hired a new pastor and a couple years later it was very clear the church wasn't going to change so i was left with my wife and i were left with um a choice stay in the church and remain disillusioned and see where that leads. Or I guess as we're going to hear from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, shut the hell up, put your big boy pants on and adapt to what the church is. Well, I didn't do the latter. Sorry, Diedrich. Uh, There had been too much baggage that had been built up. Uh, Colton had alluded to it. Um, well, no, I alluded to it. You alluded that I had some really good friendships there. Some of those friendships got damaged by some of the stuff that had happened when we were switching pastors. And there was just, there were too many dead bodies, shall we say, figuratively, everywhere we went at the church. But more importantly... And this actually, this took me a while after I had left to come to this conclusion. And maybe this is what Diedrich, what, I'm going to read a quote from Diedrich, this is what Colton was alluding to. Maybe this is what Diedrich's talking about. I felt after a while that I was trying to make the church something it didn't necessarily need to be, and I needed to go find a church, not that was, well, maybe... Maybe, dear listener, write in and tell me that's exactly what I was doing. Finding a church where I held a similar mission and vision and could be effective. And so uh, my wife and I stayed out of church for a couple months. We just felt like we needed to kind of decompress. Part of it was, and if, if I hope to God pastors are listening to this. Pastors, do not overwork your members. That was one of the things of this church that we went to was horrible. 10% of the people were doing 90% of the work. And they just, and because they always showed up, they kept being asked and asked and asked and saying yes and yes and yes. And after a while, you get worn out. There is something about serving, and then there's something about over serving. The, the, if you're running a church, make sure. And I know you guys, guys and gals are struggling with this, so I, you're probably aware of this. You'll probably write and say, yes, our number one problem is a church. How do we make the, the tent bigger on who's, filling, who's helping out so we're not using the same people? Over? Anyway, stay out of church for a while. Uh, two churches that we kind of targeted might be the church, new church for us. And first church we went to is the church we're, we're at, and we never even bothered going to the other church. And the other church, I knew the pastor there. It, it would have been a, 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 a good place too. But when we walked in, it was being at home because they. <laughs> it's, the, the, it's the church we're at now. It's the church that Colton and I referenced, the pastor of that, who gave us the whole, that was the genesis for this podcast. He is someone who very much believes in 
I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you what I believe on Sunday. If you believe something else, that's fine. If you believe it so much that you want to send me an angry letter, there's 10, 20, 30 other churches around town. Go there. Don't waste my time. Go to hell, so to speak. Um, but also prides himself on knowing. I think he's cultivated a church that does have people there that are progressive, conservative, libertarian, uh, independent, politically speaking, which these days unfortunately bleeds over into religion, who are progressively Christian, who are conservatively Christian, who are in the middle, and I don't know what I am. It. His vision of the church is to have people who rub elbows sitting next to each other in seats, not pews, seats every Sunday, who normally would give each other the middle finger if they had to hang out with them at a restaurant or at work and would not in any, in any way be in a friendship group with them outside of this church. Yeah. And that's part of the thing that I wanted because I have family members who are different politically and to hear so many families around the country use freaking politics to, to not only split family or not only just to ruin holidays, but to split, split family. Give me a break. Really? And so I wanted to be part of a church that was Jesus and Jesus only without throwing all this other stuff that we've thrown onto the faith for 2,000 years and be in a faith where... Someone might disagree about what is actual, what is, uh, uh, what's the, what's important about communion? How often do we do communion? What's important about, uh, baptism? All those things that we, the church has literally fought over and literally died over for 2,000 years and say, yeah, here's a perspective. If you don't like it, that's, that's all right. So. That's how I got where I'm at. Colton, you want to tell your story first? Then we'll read the old Dietrich's uh, quote, and then... So I'm going to tell my two stories first. Yeah. Um, first story that I'm going to tell is actually the story of my parents. Um, so when I alluded to earlier that there's a group that has been out of church for about 12 years, um, the group that I was talking about was actually my parents. Um... I think this is important to this uh, to this discussion to kind of discuss this background um, information. I mean, just understand how people are hurt. And then again, my parents have not been a part of a fellowship of believers, if you will, um, for about 12 years. So, um, and this started way back when I was very, very young. So what ended up happening was my dad uh, originally was trying to be a professional runner. Um, he was training for the Olympics, and uh, he slipped on a tree branch um, and hurt his back. Um, it put him out with a season-ending injury, and he just was never able to bounce back um, from that injury. Um, so he moved back home. So he, he was living in Northern California. Um, he, he had a couple of sponsorships, and that kind of stuff kind of fell out after he... Uh, he didn't meet his races, quotas for the year, and so he tried to do a recovery process in the Central Valley um, to, to kind of bounce back, but it just never happened for him. But um, while he was here, uh, he was working as a mechanic um, with my grandfather, and he was approached by the church uh, that he grew up in, and they asked him 
uh, to be the youth pastor because they had just lost a youth pastor. So he said, yeah, absolutely. It's a steady paying job. I don't have to work out in the heat and the elements every single day. Um, if you know, if you're from uh, Central California, you know that it can get up to about 110 in the summers. Um, and the tractor still needs to run. So that was what he was doing. He was a tractor mechanic. And so uh, he said yes. And so he, he joined. This was with that pastor that we had talked about from before. He was under him. The one that had worked there for 20 years, he was underneath this guy. Um, so he works and he works. And then uh, eventually a children's pastor position opens up at the church. And my mom applies for it. They deny her um, because somebody else in the church had been there longer. That person went on to run the children's ministry at Slave First Baptist Church for about, what, 15, yeah. 15 years? Okay. So my mom gets denied for that. She gets quite a bit of bitterness in her mouth um, from that experience. They had told her that it was, we didn't want to hire a youth pastor and a children's pastor from the same uh, family, because, you know, if you guys move away, then we're out two pastors. Mm, okay. That was the reason that they gave um, If you know church politics, that probably wasn't the real reason. <laughs> and listen, I, listen, my mom could have not been, like, I don't know my mom's work ethic. You know, like, I'm not sitting here, like, saying, like, oh my goodness, my mom was the perfect person for the job. She should have had it. Like, that's not what I'm saying about this whole situation. But regardless, this is what happens. She gets denied this position. And so my parents decided to look for a job elsewhere. So they started looking up north. Um, and my father got offered a position, a youth pastor position in Northern California. So we were able to move up there. We live on a, uh, we live in a house um, that is owned by the church. Um, and so we're able to, you know, go through um, live our life. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar um, with kind of how it goes with youth pastoralship is that you are not really paid a lot of money. Um, there are some mega churches that maybe are able to pay their youth pastors well, but I feel like those that are a part of those mega churches would still say that they're probably underpaid um, compared to how much money the church actually brings in. Um, and the church is notorious for underpaying its staff. Yeah. Um, which is a problem. And so they go, um, they work in Northern California, and eventually they come down. They, uh, after a couple of years up there, um, they want to move closer to family and that kind of stuff. And so they move to Samba, California, where my dad takes up a youth pastoral position. And again, um, my father is the breadwinner in my family as a youth pastor, uh, bringing in about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year. That's the breadwinner in our household. Um, and so, and at this point in my life, I'm, I'm, uh, when we're living in, in Selma, I am through the ages of nine through 13, um, with two other sisters and my mother. And so we continue to, to live in Selma and eventually dad has had enough. It, it, it's just, it's too much for him, um, to be living paycheck to paycheck. 
as he has done for the entire time that I have been conscious of my father's life. Up until the point of when I was 13, my father was only ever a youth pastor. So for him to be living from paycheck to paycheck for 13 years, he finally calls it quits and decides to be a teacher. So he becomes, you know, because teachers are notoriously paid. <laughs> well, around the, around here they are, but yeah. <laughs> but, so, uh, but even then, so my father now enters the, wor- the teacher workforce at the age of 40 years old as his idea of a better life. So comes in making $40,000 a year at Lindsay School District. Only $40,000 a year at 40 years old. And that's the breadwinner of my household. And so, but they still were like, we need to... But you still have white privilege to hang hang your hat on. I know. But here was also the problem was associated with that. My mom had made a business venture and it failed miserably. Really, really bad to where my parents had accumulated a shit ton of debt. But nonetheless, they want to try to move to uh, a better place for their kids, knowing that my, my dad's on the up and up. Also, by the way, just so we're clear, they tried to move to Tulare, California in the year, ready for it? 2008. Oh. <laughs> so, housing market is at its ultimate high. This is still right before the crash. Things are... Right, because it was like mid-2008, 2009 is when the whole thing went to the shit show. So still it hadn't, and if you know anything about the Central Valley, is that we are very delayed on a lot of that stuff. This stuff happens a little bit later. But regardless, actually it was the biggest bullet that my parents ever dodged because they would have probably had their home foreclosed upon if they had tried to buy a home, which they were looking to do, but they couldn't actually afford we ended up uh, being homeless um, for a time where we had to move out of our house in Selma because we couldn't afford it anymore. And my grandparents had also accumulated a shit ton of debt. And so my parents were like, well, we'll help you with the bills. If, but we can't afford to be anywhere else. And so we moved into my grandparents' home. And we all shared a room together. And that was all that we had in my grandparents' house. So my grandparents had this house, and it was me, my two sisters, and my parents who all slept side by side in their house. Um, And we just had mattresses. Um, And we lived out of our suitcases. And, um, And it's funny, like, you know, like, as a kid, like, as a 13 year old kid, I didn't really think about us being homeless. Because, you know, we had a roof over our head. But at the same time, we were in a multiple family household. Right. And, well, when we moved back to Tulare, because that's where my grandparents were, where else would we go other than the family church that had raised us? Or where we were originally from? And so my parents went over there and they tried to act like everything was normal and all that kind of stuff. And the friends that they had once had, which were prominent members of the church and had always been and they were struggling people when my parents first got married but even then they were struggling but it wasn't that they were still upper middle class again we are don't get me wrong we are caucasian we are white and so the people that my parents were friends with were those upper middle class white people 
So they come back, and now some of these people are in the upper class. And that was hard for my mother, and it was hard for my father to have these friends that were um, of this, this higher social status. 13 years had gone by, and these people were so much higher above them. And so, like, I don't want to say that insecurities don't come into play and that kind of stuff. But it just was extremely rich to my parents when they come back and just through this entire process of working for the church that had asked, because like if you knew my life growing up, my father worked 60 hour work weeks as a youth pastor. It's not a 40 hour job for a youth pastor. It's so much more than that. You're out there on, you're out there on Wednesday nights. You're there an additional hour after the whole thing ends because you're waiting on kids to get picked up. You're waiting on, or you're having conversations with those kids on Sundays. You're asked to unlock doors before anybody else gets there. You're asked to lock everything up after everybody leaves, right? Because the senior pastor wants to go home or for whatever reason, blah, blah, blah. They want all, all the clocks to run on time and you're, you know, the trains to run on time, sorry, is the term. And, and so you have all these situations. So my parents eventually, after coming back to church, finding that everybody had moved on, not necessarily moved on past them, but had been successful and that kind of stuff. But the one thing that was the common denominator of what had really screwed them over the most was the fact that people at church continued to ask more and more and more and more of them and never give them anything in return. To where eventually they had to become homeless. My father had to escape through teaching at the age of 40 and old enough to avoid it. And so my parents... From that point on, decided, oh, we're done with church for now. And I've yet to see them go back. There was a time where they were trying to go to the church in Lemoore. Yeah, that one. That was one of the. That was the other short church that was on our list of. That was a, that was the other church that was on our list of churches to go to. To the. Two churches we were going to go to because we knew the pastor. So and so that was the one that my parents were going to for a little bit. But then my sister moved away. And that, and my sister was stationed, her, her husband was stationed in Lemoore, and that was the church that they went to. That's where my, my niece was dedicated and that kind of stuff. And so they started going there. But again, this was like my early 20s, so like 22, 21 years old. This is what was happening. And then they moved away up to northern... Uh, into Washington, and so my parents never went again, and they still have never gone to this day. And so that's their story when it comes to this, and it's still a very heartbreaking um, story for me, um, just because, I mean, again, this is what happens when what you talk about, where it's like you ask and you ask and you ask, and these are even people that the church is paying, but yet they're not paying them well. This is staff. This is staff that you should take care of, but yet it doesn't happen. And if you like, if you were to look at Selma, right? This was a church that really couldn't actually, you know, afford it. You know that kind of stuff. There were there were, and so it was just yeah. That's a struggling church. It, it was a struggle. The the area we're in, you're either thriving as a church, or you're or you're 
literally dying. I don't mean like dying out because people aren't going anymore. Like, no, no one knew's coming and you're literally dying out. And so that was the problem. But, and, and that's just how it goes. So let's fast forward now to my experience with the church. And we'll get... So I had been a volunteer for forever. And that was no problems. I had no problems as a volunteer. I had no problems being a junior high leader. Um, well, let's stop there. So your parents go through all this, but you still make it somehow back. You still decide right. to still go to the church. To go every single Sunday. I, I went through... You know, again, I was on, I was very righteous in what I was doing. I was like, I was like, this is what I mean. you were righteous initially in what you're doing, but then you also found because of uh, Joseph that we talked about last week, and then another person who is a youth youth pastor. Not the they then became mentors and right, and so you go for these people, right? Like those were the connections that I had made. Um. And I, and I loved it. Every, I was there every Sunday. I was there every Wednesday. And I was there most days of the week. I became an intern for the church. I was there two, three days additionally a week. Um, when I, I had originally played water polo all four years, and then my sophomore year I had quit swimming to just go hang out at the church full time. And I just went and I just hung out uh, with Brandon. Um, who was the head youth pastor at the church at the time. And he was also the one that I talked about earlier that talked about, you know, sinfulness being selfishness. And so I, I went all the time. I was there all the time. And then after high school, I had sworn off junior hires, and then I began to work with them, and I grew a huge love for working with junior high. And so I became a junior high leader, and I worked with them for the next four years from when I was 18 all the way up until when I was 22. Um, when I was 22, I got married. And through that process, I also became the junior high youth pastor at the church that I grew up in. Which I think we've said now a couple of times. Um, so we'll, we'll see if you're playing along and you're able to guess it. And so people that we know may hear this story and they know the people and so therefore the story is going to go that way but you know this is how it goes this is my story and this is the same church I, I was referring to as well right this is this is my story this is how I felt and that's how it's going to be that's how I still feel and if people hear this and they want to come up and say that I was wrong or they want to come up and say or a, you know be like it didn't mean to be that way or whatever okay but for right now, this is this is where I'm at at 27 years old, four years removed from this whole circumstance that we're going to have this conversation. So I got involved with the church and I became a part of uh, the leadership staff because I'm now a youth leader. I was originally hired by a guy that quit, what, a month later after I got hired? I was hired in August of 2017 and he left in september of 2000 that was the og one 2.0 we were talking about or 1.0 we were talking no, about this was jc oh okay yeah sure okay so i get hired on 
but I'm hired on by their chief of staff. The executive pastor. Right, the executive the pastor. Guy, the guy who was literally making sure that all the trains ran on time right. and all that kind of stuff. Oh, on top of that, so I get hired So I get hired to be the junior high youth director, the high school leader who had been there for several years, but four or five years to that point, was leaving the week after I got hired to go move up to Northern California. He's now the head pastor. I love that man to death. I text him. I I used to text him all the time. I need to text him and and see how he's doing. But that's, I love that man. I miss him so much. If he ever listens to this podcast, Brian, we love you. Please come back to the Central Valley. But he moves up there. And then one month after that, the executive pastor leaves. And so what we are left with is this senior pastor. And I say we are left with. (laughs) And listen, the, the whole system that our senior pastor had put into place was actually not bad. I had no problems with JC. I had no problems with Brian. Both of those guys knew how to run the ship. They knew how to do what they were doing. They left, and there was a void. Yeah. I was in the midst of a void. A leadership vacuum. Which the senior pastor did not want to be the leader of. Correct. I mean this in the best way possible, but the leader of the church... He was hired to be the leader of the church, and Tim was there for the hiring process. Oh, I'm responsible in no, part for hiring. And he can say he's responsible, but it, it, ultimately, the leader of the church who we had hired to be the leader of the church did not want to be the leader. Correct. Of the he wanted to be the type of person that showed up on a Sunday morning. He wanted to be a people pleaser. Well, he just wanted to... And we can do a whole podcast on people pleasers, because if you think being people pleaser is being a Christian... That it's actually the opposite of that. But he wanted, but in all honesty, what he wanted was he wanted his job to be, I show up, I kiss babies, I shake hands, I preach my sermon, I go home. That was, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I didn't, I didn't get that sense because I was just on the board leadership board side of it so i didn't get to see what he was there day to day but i'm not going to in any way dispute what you have to say my my issues were the other side of people pleasing and never making tough decisions and issues being funded down the road right and leadership is not that leadership is leadership is and if our current pastor is listening to this and he's i don't think he's going to be embarrassed about it because that doesn't seem like he's a type one of the reasons why I'm drawn to the current pastor is because he's just like, if you don't like it, you can go the funk somewhere else. Because there's, like I said, there's 200 churches within 50 miles of this radius that'll probably tell you everything you want to know. So just go there. And it says, go, go stand outside the church, pick up a rock, throw it in your direction. Exactly. Because we got plenty of churches. There. And even though it seems like I'm leaving. <laughs> Let me just tell, add on to my story real quick and you can finish. I left the church because it wasn't what I was envisioning, but one of that was because I didn't have a guy who would just stand up. If you want to be biblical and stand up and say, this is what the church is going to be because I feel that's what I'm called to, the quote unquote elders, because I do not consider myself an elder, but that's what we'd have been 
compared to with a lot of other churches. The elders hired me to do this. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. And oh, if you're going to threaten me with taking your money with you, we'll figure out a way to pay the bills. But I got the opposite. Right. And I found a guy who I'm sure has his flaws. They all do. That's the one thing I've learned in this being in church long enough. Do not, do not, do not idolize your pastor. It's not fair to them, and it's not fair to you. It's not fair to them because the good ones will tell you, no, I'm a dirty mess just like you are. You just don't see it because I get to talk about Jesus on Sundays. And those where you do and they don't feel bad about it, they're going to disappoint you. So continue. Yeah, so, so we got a leadership void. So we had this leadership void. And again, the, the pastor that we had did not want to be a leader. Uh, instead, you know, he continually looked for people to fill that void. Right? And that's how we ended up with Jordan. And I love Jordan to death. Jordan was supposed to come in, and they continually gave him more and more responsibilities. He thought that he needed to fill into that leadership role. And there was a lot of mess that went along with that. And what was really hard for me, as somebody who had gone from a volunteer, was now the curtains were drawn back, right? Now I was in staff meetings. I saw what really was important to the church, right? As a junior high youth pastor, and I, I still believe this, and for anybody that's, uh, um, that's a part of the church, I want to let you know that the people that care the most and the people that are probably the most aligned with the mission and vision of the church, and I, I say this every time, and maybe there's other people that feed themselves, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I will say this every time. It's the youth pastors. And the reason why I say that and when I say the mission and the vision of the church, I say the mission and the vision of Jesus Christ. Is because it has been statistically proven that junior high and high school students that get involved with youth ministry do not relate to tithes. There is no money to be made by the church for giving their money to the junior high and high school ministry. Oh. Also why? <laughs> I, I didn't think you were going to go there. I was going to say something else about... The mission and vision. No, but I'm saying that these people, and this is also, just so we're clear, this is also why I was always aware that the junior high and the high school youth pastor or the, the youth pastor at your position is often paid the least out of everybody in the whole place. It's because that person is not directly related to the money. That person is literally doing their job with the sole purpose of believing that they're trying to impress the image of Jesus Christ onto the undesirables, if you will, aka teenagers. 
Look, as someone who was in charge of a church budget for over 10 years, I can totally verify that. <laughs> that's, that's we, we sit around as Christians and whine and, and talk about how, why, is it, why aren't we reaching the youth and all that? Look at, look at your church budgets. If you, if, if you believe that money will sp- that you got to spend a lot of money to get a, a senior pastor to, and believe me, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pay our senior pastors. It is a ridiculous job. You're asking someone to be both. You are in any other industry. They are two opposing well, well-run businesses. Have you take a uh, psychological tests? There's all kinds of them, but they're the, the general one is there's four quadrants and two of those quadrants are totally opposed. And a senior pastor is supposed to be the two opposed things. It's supposed to be a basically uh, a type A personality who's also very empathetic and and wouldn't and uh, caring of people. Those are diametrically opposed human traits. Now, I suppose if someone you hire a pastor who's fully spirit filled, they can pull that off. But you're basically asking. One of our a mutual friends of ours said, "You're asking somebody to be what even Jesus wasn't. Now, Jesus was, but to run an effective organization with the the skill, the clarity of mind, and the ability to tell people, no, that's not what we're doing, and be okay with offending people because again, they might take their pay their check somewhere else or whatever, but also meet with people." who are going through a tough time with a marriage council show up at a old person's uh, uh, hospice when they're dying. That is a rare human being and they should be paid all of it. But at the same time we whine and whine and whine and whine like, because we don't do it ourselves. God forbid uh, witness to our own kids and make sure all with all the shit they're learning at school that that they're still being immersed in the faith. We want to pay some pimply kid just out of college twenty grand to do it, right? And then w- wonder why after five years he goes off and goes somewhere else, or if he's really good at it ten years later, it says it's time to be the senior pastor. Yeah, that was that was bound to happen, right? But instead, we spend it on all, all kinds of other things, right? Right, like a. Like music, right? But that's uh, but that's also the thing, right? Like or facilities we don't need, or other things. There's lots of things, but <laughs> if we really believe these things, the youth pastor is not the one that should be. Right, it's the warped sense of of priorities, right? Like right. That's what it Our is. money's not. I'm not going where it is. That that's a whole side. We could probably do a whole podcast on that and maybe get a couple pastor friends in here to talk about it or ex-pastor friends. But I mean, like, and again, we talked about this with another guy who had a huge heart for for overseas ministries. Like, that was his thing. He was like, I, and he was a teacher. And I, and his whole thing was, was he went and he asked JC, this guy that was ahead of, um, you know, all of the, the executive pastor, right? And he goes up to JC and he goes, hey, JC. I want you to tell me right now. And also, just so we're clear, this was, this guy didn't tell me this. JC told me this. As the executive pastor, he had a problem with this as well. He went up and he said, JC, what is our global impact? 
How much money do we give? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Every single year uh, to our to our global missions. And Jason's like, you want to be honest? True. I said, yep. It's like about 10% more about that. You're looking at over a million dollar budget that came from uh, the church that we were at. So $100,000. And this guy, who's a character, but was extremely upset, and he was like, you need to tell me, if I were to do a home church with 10 of my teacher friends, who all have master's degrees, and all have been teaching for at least eight years, and in the Central Valley where we live, and this will help you understand kind of why Tim talks about teachers and the way that he does for the area that we live in, is after about eight years of working in the area that we live in, you will make over $100,000 a year. Yeah, teachers around here are very upper middle class. If you have... the ri- A lot of rich if, people... Go ahead. If you have your master's degree, that's an important portion of it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, even if you don't, you're making pretty good money even around here still. But you're making above the well above probably the national average. I don't know what the national average is lately, but it's it's well above the national average. Right. And, so, and it, it's it is still California, so things are more expensive, but um Right. And so he says, if I were to get ten of my teachers' friends who all make over a hundred thousand dollars a year, and we each tithe our ten percent, which we are supposed to do. We will have just as much global impact as this congregation of believers that's 500 strong in Tulare, California. And the yeah, and the guy goes, "Yep, yep Yeah, I I think that's a podcast for future because I I've been since I was on that leadership thing. It the model doesn't the modern church I don't think works. Um. And I think at some point it's going to be replaced. It's not going to be like completely replaced, but we're not doing it efficiently. Let's put it that that way. Yeah. Um, we are still, well, our churches are very much like our schools and they are built on an industrial model that does not work for modern society. We're paying for buildings. I'll tell you where that money is going. It's going to buildings. It's going into buildings and the air conditioner. I wrote, I wrote one, I wrote as treasurer of a church once, I wrote for $14,000 electrical bill, bill to the electric company in the middle of the summer. And when you know that was our slow. That's the slowest time of year because everyone's out of town. Right, right. But we're spending four now. Part of that's because we live in California and electricity is outrageous. But still, I'm looking at that going, "Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How is this at all in line with Jesus's mission of the church?" One percent of the church's budget. Oh, and guess what? You got to do it for twelve months out of the year, and you got to do it for twelve months of the year. So the, so the model's broken. We, so, all right. So, uh, so, well, so, it, it, so the curtains are drawn back. I'm seeing that more and more. Right, we we get to October. What used to be this, we used to do this like Halloween festival, and the pastor is upset about the fact that we used to run a Halloween festival and it didn't ever bring anybody into the church. And really, what he means is we don't get tithes from running that. There's no purpose behind it because we don't get tithes. And, and everything became about tithes and tithes and tithes, and it became about money and money and money. Um, and listen, for our church at this point, 
was struggling. Like, I'm not going to say that it wasn't. Like, I, there were there were lots of different cuts that needed to be made, but they weren't being made. And so, that's fine, whatever. But as somebody who's sitting there and making minimum wage on the dot for my hours and being told that I'm not able to work more than 20 hours a week because then we would have to pay you benefits and you're not worth the benefits. And just constantly having this was just a constant reminder until it all came to a head one day when I got called into the office and I got reprimanded. Um, and that was not a good day. I'm not going to go into the full details. Like, that's, not, yeah. that's not necessary on this podcast. I'm just saying that there, there were things that were being accused of me that were just completely and utterly not true. <coughs> So this left the most bitterest taste in my mouth, and eventually, uh, two or three days later, I, I, I sent in my resignation. I said, I'm not doing this, because I'm pouring my heart out here. I'm doing all that I can possibly do, and this is what you do to me. After all that I've done, I, and at this point, I'm married. I was married in 2017. I've been married now for about almost a year at the point that we had this conversation. My wife was still trying to find, you know, job security with her jobs that she was having. And I was working mine, and I was also still going to college. I could not afford to be on my own with how much the church was paying me. If we were being honest, I made what you said, $20,000 yeah. a year. I said that number because I knew we were getting paid. I, I'm not, yeah, I wasn't happy I, about I, it. No, I got paid $20,000 a year. At 22 years old, and I was like, I can't provide like, there's nothing that I can do here. I was, like, praying to God every single day that Audrey didn't get pregnant. No, you could probably have gone on welfare between the feds and, and California and made more than that. Right, exactly. And it was like, this was my life, and yet I, somebody, for whatever happened in my, my senior pastor's brain that day, that he just wanted to take... A lot of the anger and emotions that he was feeling and just bring the hammer down on me. And I told him in two, it was a two hour meeting. And to his face several times, I told him, you have no idea what you are talking about. <laughs> I told him, I don't believe this. I don't know where this is coming from. But you need to go talk to other people or something because... Th this is completely out of left field for me. I, I don't believe you. Over and over again. And he tried to reconcile it the next like couple of days or whatever, and I was like, no, no. This is done. Yeah. And from that point on, it, it was done. And, and, and to get back to this whole story of leaving the church and that whole concept, because I feel like we've been on this for forever. Yeah, we're almost two hours. It's from that moment on, I, I left. And I gotta be hundred percent honest. I'm not healed. I'm not, I'm not saying this to puff up myself. You only became back to the church because during COVID, my wife and I got bored with online church, and said this is not sufficient. Right. That was the first time. And I we decided to start a home church. Yeah. And it was you, and basically the same people we've talked about on this episode of this this podcast 
it's our, it was our social group. And then maybe a couple other couples uh, joined as we kept going and went as long as we could until three couples got COVID and that eradicated. But we did, we did a book of the Bible and then we started doing, um, mere Christianity. And it was just a group that got together. We had a nice breakfast. Uh, the breakfast was actually pretty outrageous. There, there, there was a competition between yeah, families, like one-upping. It got we actually literally had to tell everyone, "All right, let's stop with the one-upping because it's getting it's getting out of hand." Um, but it was just a time on. We didn't sing. We didn't do any of that. We didn't do worship. But we just got together. We talked. We just had conversations. There was no lesson. I led the group, but I didn't sit down with a lesson. I just we just talked about what we were reading, whether it be. The book of the Bible we were reading, or mere Christianity. What does this mean to you? What does it mean to you? There's no wrong answer. So, then that got you back in. And frankly, that's I think that's what got. No, we had already been at neighborhood, but because we had been in neighborhood, and then you kind of kind of got you and your wife back in, and then it was kind of like, yeah, and, and here, I think I'm ready to go. And and here was something, and still to this day, I mean, like I haven't broken it entirely. Like apparently, my wife saw Tim and. Didn't you get church this last week? Oh yeah, you're now pagan, and your your real religion is uh, football or soccer. Uh, no, I went. No, I I didn't. There was Tim. It's an international break. There's no side. There was Manchester United did not play on Sunday. So I went. And, and just to be clear, Tim only says this because college football plays on Saturday. Oklahoma would have lost on Sunday, and still would have been there for it. So. But instead, they lost on Saturday. So, and I so showed up at church because I needed I needed to be healed because they yeah. they embarrassed themselves against the Wildcats. <laughs> so tired of Kansas. So tired of Kansas State. So we uh so anyways and it was true. I had I think the only time that I had been to church was my wife dragged me to an Easter an Easter church service and and and. It, and here's something that I had to deal with was every single time, because I still claim that, that this church that I grew up in was my home church. And I would go in there and I would sit there and I would just fester. I had tried going a couple of times and I would just sit there and I'd just think about what is. Yeah, I was there for a while. I would feel not good thoughts. And there was a lot of things, and it, it goes beyond just the head pastor. There, there was issues with the worship. There was, and not necessarily the worship itself, the music. We're talking about other politics. Uh, yeah. And it just was terrible for me. I was what we would call hurt. I was hurt, and I, and I, I still don't believe I've recovered. I don't think so. If if I'm being honest, I, I moved away from that town, and, and and Tim's joke earlier is again. I mean, I moved ten miles down the road. So you it, moved it, ten it, miles it, down the road. You still work in the town, but but to everyone listening, it is. It's not like. It, to be fair, it is ten miles away. And it's only 10 miles away, but it's also not like live. the two towns we live in are basically one big town, but to live in Visalia versus Tulare is, is, is still two different towns. Right. It's not like Granada, Granada, Granada Hills and Northridge. Granada Hills and Northridge are the same town. 
Well, it was always hard for me, and, and something that I had always said when I was there was because I had a lot of friends that were going to this really popular church that was in Visalia, mm-hmm. and they lived in Solaria, and so it was about a 25 to 30 minute drive um, to get to this church, depending on church traffic. Our, our towns are actually like true small towns in a way, from yeah. the standpoint of like, if you actually go out on a Sunday morning, you'll actually notice that the town is pretty dead. Yeah. Like it, it's really dead, except for when you get around like church areas. Correct. You got all that traffic. So it takes about 25 to 30 minutes for most people in Solaria to get to this spot in Visalia. Um, and what I had said for the entire time, because a lot of people were like, hey, you should go out here. It's nailing the tip. This is what's really popular right now, blah, 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 blah. What I had always said was, um, why would I drive 25 miles or 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes to a church when I got one right here, right around the corner? Yeah. And so I'm sorry, but I don't want to be a hypocrite as far as that goes. And so I was like, well, that can't be my church anymore because that was something that I preached for a long time. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, when I was in Tulare, I was serving that community. And even now, I still serve the community of Tulare. Again, I'm a teacher here. I work here. This is I work with the kids that are here on a daily basis. And so technically, I could probably move into a church around here and I would fit right in. That being said, I live in the the community of Visalia, and I would like to give back to the community of Visalia that is that is my home, and that is currently my home. And so, I became a part of a church that is for Visalia, and that's one of their big slogans: is that we are a community of believers that is wanting to give back to the community that we call home. I think that's a phenomenal vision for a church to have: is just constantly keeping that idea of for Visalia and so I was sold from the second that we went there was one Sunday at, at the home church I was like well if we're not meeting this week I'm gonna go to uh, <laughs> I was like if we're not meeting next week I'm just gonna go to uh, to uh, neighborhood church and Tim and Danica or Tim was like yes <laughs> well for I, a while I'm counting you on that one because for, like, for, right. for a while we were trying to recruit all of our friends to go because there was a level of disillusionment with other people I told, so. I told Tim afterwards I was like you know I went to Fresno Pacific like, <laughs> in a Baptist church like these are my people this is always where I was gonna, gonna end up <laughs> so so you you still have a lot of uh, you have some you still have battle scars Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. You have oh, wounds. I, I you, have wounds. you have wounds. You have wounds. I have battle scars. I have... I, uh, I'm not going to say some things I could say about the same person because... I still haven't said things that I could say. No, I, no but I know you're kidding, but l- let me just... Let me say this. I am over my experience there. At the church... My, I, where I'm at is... And I'm hoping this is people are listening to this. So there's probably people that are still listening to this. Hopefully, that are here in Colton, and maybe that they're your your people that I was railing. We were both railing at an hour ago about why are you leaving the church. It's not about you. Some of you might have some wounds, and that you know, even within the faith of Jesus Christ, time is part of that element. Yes, there can be instant healing, but a lot of that just comes, all of that partially comes with time. And the scar, I didn't have any personal scars like you did. Let me just, yeah, no, I, I did not. So I'm over it. I, 
I well I wish well the people at the church that I was at. I could care less about the pastor there. I mean, I literally I could care less. I, I have I nothing good, nothing bad to say. Whatever. I wish that church well um, because I I'm a big believer in we should have. For, in an ideal world, we should have four churches at every corner who are all meeting the needs of people who are looking for – I'm for competition in churches. I'm for different flavors. Sure. I'm not a Catholic. And I don't mean that negatively Catholics. I don't – like big C Catholic. I don't believe we have a pope and we have this one monolithic church and everyone just – I sorry, I don't. I don't believe that. And I don't necessarily think that the early church was that way either. I don't think the same – I don't think the Church of Corinth and the Saint Church of Ephesus and the Church of Philippi were all doing the same thing and all doing the same programs and all believe part of the whole book, the letters that I think Paul and Peter and and James and these other people are writing to them are because they're all dealing with different things and they're dealing with different communities and they all have different cultures and they're trying to figure out how they fit in within the church. They did put on the same BBS though. Every Absolutely. Uh, they didn't all do a wanna though. Some did some other things for yeah, the. No, 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 no. That's okay. <laughs> should we just leave it at that, or should I read the Bodhoffer thing? I think that I think we should leave it at that. But I do want to say before we, before we close because I, I think that this could be a two parter. Let's do a two parter because we should have done a two parter due to the fact that we're like two and a half hours in. What I do say is. Is that yeah? There, the, when you, when you talked about the healing and, and there are people that are, that need the healing and that kind of stuff and that, and there's an element to this that that there is there are people out there that are going to be hurt by the church um, and and by believers right like that's that's something that's true again we have to acknowledge and this is something that I've had to acknowledge even as a part of the healing processes. These are still people that are imperfect. And, and, and also, this is something that I've talked about several times, and you talked about it, is that, yeah, you get these really diamond-in-the-rough pastors that are able to be two parallels on this quad whatever that you were talking about with the squares. Yeah. Just because a pastor is really good at preaching doesn't mean that they're good at the other stuff. Oh, they're probably jerks in person. I mean, not like jerk jerks, but if if, if I'm I'm sorry. If you got a guy who is leading a 5,000 person church is dynamic on stage, has a great media presence, I'm sorry folks. You get him in in the room, he I I am 99% sure he is an introvert. Yeah. And I can say that because I know Men who are that way, and not all of them lead big, but all of them who are dynamic speakers on stage and love to talk to people on stage, they do not like to be one-on-one. They are introverts. As soon as they're done on stage and performing, they need time away from people. That does not mean, if you, if you got one of these guys and you think he's a dick, that is the way they're wired. Most people are wired that way. Yeah, what's really funny about introverts. And if they're not, they're probably selling you shit the whole time because they are on the whole time. They are salesmen. Right. So if you think, oh, my guy, he's just always on it. He's probably probably on it in terms of 
how he's interacting with you, but whatever you're telling him is going in one ear and out the other. He's not actually empathizing with you. Right. And I mean, like, again, what you talked about with the introverts, where it's like, again, what we don't really understand is that those people that present on a regular basis and that kind of stuff, they don't have to interact with you. That's no. How it works. Like, again, it, for a lot of people, you just assume that you're an extrovert just because you're able to get out there and you're able to present to all of these people. Um, and there's a crap ton of people that's out there, right? So you must be extroverted, but that's not how that works. No. Because it takes a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. And they these people need their time away to disconnect. Right. And so this idea that I got this guy and he's up there and he preaches the word and he's on fire and all that and yet and yet he's I'm sorry. Right. Great preachers don't necessarily He's a he's probably he might be a diamond in the rough, but he's probably a snake oil salesman and he's not really genuine either on either on stage and or off. That's just the way it is. Which is why pastors need staff. Most big, if you do have an effective pastor and he's a hell of a guy up on stage, he's probably got someone else to show up. And it's not because he's too big for his britches or I remember when so pastor so and so used to show up. It's because that's not what his gift is. Right. And guess what, honey? You don't need the senior pastor to come in and, and administer to you in your house. It's quite fine. It's not an, a slap in the face because senior pastor didn't do it. The point is the church being represented by a staff at large is coming in and surrounding themselves and ministering to you or being with you or whatever, whatever you want, word you want to use. But so, <laughs> and most guys who are really empathetic, they're terrible speakers or they're not very dynamic. Well, I don't want to get on a tangent, so let's let's just wrap it up. For, for well, let's wrap it up like this. We will we'll do a two parter next week. We'll 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 go, we'll go further. We got a juicy Bonhoeffer uh, extended. It's a, it's a, a excerpt from a book, and he goes hard at people who who leave churches for other churches, um, and it, it's food for thought. I think it's a good challenge to. To what you and I are thinking, talking about, and and maybe we're maybe we are wrong. Maybe we, ultimately this is a sign of growth. We need to, um, but let's just wrap it up this way. Uh, we, you and I, can fully attest the church is full of broken people. They're always going to be broken. Absolutely. They are led by broken, predominantly men, but broken men and women. Yep. Absolutely. Um. And if you're someone listening to this and you're not either in church or you're no longer a believer and you've been truly hurt by that, uh, hopefully you've stuck through this and didn't turn this podcast off like I often do when I listen to a podcast and I get really mad and I turn it off and you're still listening. Look, I'm sorry you've been hurt, but come back. The church cannot be judged by one person or one or 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 a, even a group of people within a church. Find another church. Yeah, there's snake churches out there. I don't know what it is with your fixation with the reptil with the so reptil awesome. reptilian uh, denomination. I just I think I need to go and experience it for myself. I think that's just find another church. What if they buy me though? What? So what if they buy me though? Well then. Fortunately, are you, that there's a, are you saying that there's a more eccentric church out there for me to reach for than Snake Church? 
We'll have to think about that. Maybe we'll, we'll think about that for next week. Um, come back, find another church, or just like we said, this isn't about you. It's about other people. And in the process of really thinking about others, that hurt will go away. Um, you know, Colton's talk told his story. What he left out was he came back. He started going to neighborhood. And he and his wife jumped into the junior high, jumped right back into junior high, which is the dumbest thing ever to do. If you're listening to this, don't ever do junior high. Junior high children are alien species. It, there's no good that can come of that. They, we should just skip them for two years. They just let's just let them run around in a room for two years between uh, children's ministry and high school. That's I'm perfectly fine with that. But he, they joined and they helped out. They haven't. They had to stop for a while because of just life stuff going on. But he jumped back in. Do that. Find something. And as, as our church says, even if you're not believing yet about this whole Jesus guy. Just help out. And in the course of this, you'll find out we're a group of people. We're fuck-ups like everybody else. Hopefully enough of us realize that we are, and we apologize later. Or if you come to us and we say, wow, I'm really sorry I did that. But just give us the chance. And if you've been hurt, you're still a believer, and you're looking for a church, same thing. Find a church. You can't man it. Being a believer is not being an island. It's not going to last long. It's not going to last long. Well, if you had problems with anything that we said tonight, um, you can feel free to email tim.curly at go to hell. Yeah, if you're going to do it, you know, get the email address right. Tim at go to hell podcast.com. Sorry, I'm just used to it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, and uh, if you have nothing but great things to say, you can go to Colton at go to hell Um Twitter comments at the go to hell pod. That's at the go to hell pod. Yeah, and, and um, if you even would like to tell us about a special time in your life where you know you've had problems with your pastor, we we would love to hear even just. Uh, you know, some of those positive messages or even maybe some of your own personal stories where you've talked about, hey, this is something that happened to me or whatever, and you just sat there and there was one time where you just wanted to tell your pastor to just, you know... Go to hell. It is better to think of the church in the alehouse than to think of the alehouse in the church.